0: I have a series of books, well, two books so far. Um, I'm trying to find somebody who wants to pick up the series about Sarah Tolerance, who is a, a fallen woman in a slightly altered English regency. And rather than becoming a prostitute or somebody's mistress or dying of starvation or something like that, which was very often the, the lot of the upper-class fallen woman in that time, she becomes... An agent of inquiry. She is essentially a private eye. And this grew out of a conversation I had with some friends once about um, the idea of a hard-boiled re- uh, Regency romance. <laughs> um, they're not big with the romance, but they're, they're, th- this is fun because it gives me a chance to sort of play around in the, the sordid mean streets of Regency England. And some <laughs> of those streets were pretty damned assorted. So this is, this is from an unpublished Sarah Tolerance that I am in process of. Reputation, even more than virtue itself, is a commodity to be protected at all costs. Sometimes such a goal is achieved with pistol or sword in a private meeting at dawn. Sometimes it is achieved through the power of a bit of information brought to light or a secret well hidden. Miss Sarah Tolerance, who had begun her life as Sarah Brereton, was of the opinion that one who made her living by the acquisition and protection of information had best keep her pistols primed and her sword edged and ready. Miss Tolerance had both useful weapons with her, as she turned the corner of Fleet Street into Miller Peel Lane in search of a loan shark. The sunshine in the larger thoroughfare had been warm enough so that Miss Tolerance regretted that she had chosen to wear masculine garb for this adventure. The lane, in contrast, was damp and cold. Sunlight would have made a great improvement in the dank precincts of Miller Peel Lane, but that sunlight could only have been obtained by knocking down three-quarters of the surrounding structures, The lane was so narrow she could have stretched out her arms and touched the houses on either side with her fingertips. Two people in second-floor rooms on the opposite sides of the street might have shook hands over her head. It was only an hour or so past noon, but most of the street was in shadow, so Miss Tolerance made her way along the lane by guess. She was very much aware of the weighty satchel in her hand. She had come about halfway down the street, approaching the house in which she had hoped to find Mr. Belding, when an electric sensation at the base of her neck suggested she was not alone in the alley. That there was no sound of footfall further suggested that the person behind her was approaching with very suspicious stealth. In a second space, she had considered her option. The alley was too narrow to draw her sword, and too ill-lit to fence in anyway. She could not draw and prime her pistol without dropping Mr. Wagg's satchel, and that she would not do. She could make a less fastidious dash to the mucky street and take refuge in Belding's house. She could turn and confront her pursuer. She could try a ruse to scare him off. Miss Tolerance stopped walking and looked upward as if to find a face peering from one of the shuttered windows. Hi, Belding, she called. Are you coming down to join me? She made her voice as gruff as possible. Her clothes suggested that she was a man and she did not mean to advertise her sex and presumed vulnerability. "'Come along, man, tis time we were away.' She peered upward for another few seconds then started forward again. The sensation of being followed was gone. She proceeded along the street for three or four paces, looking upward in the gray glow of sunlight that illuminated the upper stories of the houses. Belding's house, if Wags had been correct, was the next on the left. Miss Tolerant slid her foot along the cobbles until it met the side of a stone riser and poised his step up into the doorway." Something heavy struck her on the back of the head. It happened with such suddenness that for a moment, even as pain made the darkness around her flare into whiteness and then into an inkier dark, she wondered what had happened. She did not lose consciousness quite. Instead, she briefly lost the ability to do anything but fall forward. Her arms would not extend to catch her. She fell atop Wags' satchel, which caught her just under the ribs and knocked the wind out of her. And she hit the side of her jaw heavily on the stone riser. She lay there for a moment, trying to catch her breath and make her arms and legs obey the commands of her brain. It was only when she felt hands grasp her ankles and attempt to drag her off the stair that she was certain an assailant had felled her. The man, when he got a handful of the muck through which Miss Tolerance had been stepping, let go her ankles with a curse and lumbered around to grasp her under the arms and drag her that way. Alas, my coat, Miss Tolerance thought. At the same moment, her assailant swore again. In grasping Miss Tolerance, he had inevitably become aware of her gender, evident even through her coat, waistcoat, shirt, and the muslin garment she wore in lieu of corset to bind her breasts. What the hell is this? The man spat. He did not shout, nor did he stop pulling Miss Tolerance until he had her inside the the door of Belding's house with the door shut, leaving the two of them in total darkness. He had left the satchel to lie in the gutter. For a moment, Miss Tolerance's concern was all for how she was to regain the bag, and then she felt her assailant fumble at her chest, whether to reconfirm the evidence of his senses or to begin an assault. She was not sure. By now, sufficient of her senses had returned to her that she swatted his hand away. She could not yet stand, but already was considering how to make her escape. The fact that the hall was unlit did not make this any easier. While Miss Tolerance pulled herself up to sit, she heard a bustle a door opening and a few steps being taken. A moment later, her assailant returned with a lantern and looked down to examine her. He was an undistinguished fellow, shorter than the average, but with broad shoulders and long arms. His hat hid the upper part of his face, but the candle threw a harsh yellow light upon an upper lip marred by some sort of scar and a chin that had not been shaved in several days. He wore an old-fashioned skirted coat, but looked too young for the garment to be anything other than second hand and he was looking down at Miss Tolerance with dismay and surprise. "'What call have you to go about dressed in such a fashion? "'I'd not have pegged you if I'd known you was female, "'but how's a man to know if—' "'He stopped as if recalling his task. "'Who are you?' "'My name is Tolerance, sir. "'I am acting on the instructions of a client, "'and I really should return to my business. "'Now you've realized you've made a mistake in stopping me.' "'She rose to her feet, "'although the pain in her head and shoulders made her blind for a moment.' she was in no condition to fight. Perhaps if she had left the fellow a graceful way out of a confrontation, he would let her go about her business. Miss Torrance? The thief-taker? From the tone of the man's voice, she might have declared herself Lord Wellington. Oh, I'm damned. I'm that honored to meet you, miss. Sorry about the cosh on the head. I thought you was one of Belding's associates, see, and him and me have a beef between us. But my cousin was cooked next door to the house where murder was done last winter, and she told us all about how you solved the killin' and saved your lady from hangin'. Neatly done, miss. Miss Tolerance, aware that she should be gratified, mm-hmm. felt only that nausea which also follows a blow to the head. She wavered slightly and extended her hand to find the wall so that she could lean upon it. Sir, I wonder if I might beg a favor of you. When you coshed me, I dropped a bag in the street. I wonder if you could fetch it in to me here. "'Oh, Christ, Miss, I'll bring it right in straight away. "'Here, I'll leave you the lanthorn, shall I?' "'Miss Tolerance nodded gratefully, which made her head throb again. "'She closed her eyes. "'There was the sound of his bootsteps, "'a gust of damped wind when the door was opened, "'and a minute later the closing of the door and the boots approaching again. "'The man, with more enthusiasm than grace, "'pushed the satchel at Miss Tolerance, "'catching her on that spot bruised by her fall under the bag earlier. "'She gasped. "'That better, Miss Torrance? Yes, thank you, she wheezed. I'm that sorry, miss. It's that bastard Belding, you see. I thought you was working for him, and... You and he are not speaking, Miss Tolerance finished. But I do have a bit of business to conduct with Mr. Belding, mister. Oh, uh, Parrot, miss. George Parrot. But you don't want to be messing with Belding. He's... Miss Tolerance pushed herself away from the wall and was pleased to find that the world did not reel, and she had reasonable command of her legs. I have only to find Mr. Building and deliver something to him, Mr. Parrott. That is the total extent of my dealing with him. I hope. I believe this is his house. Parrott nodded. Next floor, front, front rooms. But, Miss, if I was you... Miss Tolerance straightened her shoulders and gave a very creditable imitation of a woman of purpose in good health. Mr. Parrott, I very much appreciate your concern, but I truly must finish my errand. If you will excuse me. She stepped past Parrot and started up the stairs. For a moment, she thought that she was fainting again, then realized that, beyond the thin light provided by the lantern, it was pitch black in the hallway. She grasped the stair rail more heavily than she liked and started up the stairs. Parrot remained behind. At the top of what Miss Tolerance experienced is a very long set of steps. She turned to the front of the house and felt her way down the hall until she found a door and knocked upon it. Who? The syllable came from the door, behind the door like a cry of an ill-tempered owl. Miss Tolerance straightened her hat and lowered her voice. Messenger, Mr. Building, a Mr. W sent me. She heard an odd, uneven step. Then the door swung open. In the light from the room, she saw a man of medium height and years with a pasty, puffy face scowling at her. What Mr. W's at? the man growled. Mr. Wag, sir, sent me with this. Miss Tolerance had tucked the satchel under her arm. She hefted it slightly so that Belding could hear the clink of coins within. Is that the whole of it? The entire amount he owes you? That is what he told me, sir. 105 pounds in gold and silver. That would be, she strove to recall the figures Wags had given her, so there would be no argument. 60 pounds of the loan and 45 pounds in interest. Belding made a growling noise and turned back into the room. Bring it here, then. Miss Tolerance realized Belding wore a wooden peg in place of his left leg. Come on, boy, up it, he barked, looking back over his shoulder. Miss Tolerance brought the bag in and placed it on the table. Shall I take the money out, sir? Out? Why? Belding dropped into a chair and sat with his legs splayed, the tip of his peg leg tapping slightly on the floor. So that I may take away the papers which Mr. Wagg signed with you, sir, now his debt is paid. Belding scowled. I'll 'em, he offered. Very well, Mr. Belding. In that case, if you will simply give me a receipt for the money so that Mr. Wags has proof that I delivered the money to you and you have settled the debt. The shark smirked. Clever than you look, eh, boy? All right, then. He half rose on his good foot, reaching behind him for a locked box. He took a key from his pocket, opened the lock, and then raised the lid of the box with great caution, as if to shield what he was doing from the messenger's eyes. Wags, 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 he muttered. Sixty pound, sixty pound, here we are then, he held out a paper to her. Miss Tolerance stepped forward and took the paper. Her head hurt, and it cost her some effort to read what was written there. What, you don't trust me? Belding asked. Miss Tolerance looked at him. I think there is another paper, sir. This is only for forty pounds. May I have the other one? She placed her hand on the satchel as if she might take it back. For a moment, she and Belding stared at each other. Miss Tolerance, who felt truly wretched now, hoped she gave no signs of it. Finally, Belding sighed. Can't blame a man for trying. He held a second piece of paper out to her. Miss Tolerance accepted it, looked it over, and satisfied herself that the remaining 20 pounds were accounted for. Under other circumstances, she might have asked the man to write paid across both papers and sign them, but she doubted Belding would do so happily, and she was in no state to coerce him. Thank you, Mr. Belding. She gave as much of a bow as she was capable of and turned for the door. Quite the gent, ain't you? Belding called. Close the door when you go. Miss Tolerance complied. She felt her way down the hall and very gingerly down the stairs as well. To her surprise, Mr. Parrott was waiting in the same attitude in which she had left him. You're all right then, miss? She smiled a little. I shall be. Uh, Mr. Parrott, may I rely upon your assistance a little more? I wonder if you would walk me out to the street and find me a hackney carriage. Parrott nodded. Anything I can do, miss? I'm that sorry for pegging you like I'd done. He offered his arm, and Miss Tolerance took it. Any help I can give you. That bastard Belden didn't give you no trouble, eh? Miss Tolerance shook her head, which thoughtless gesture brought back all the unfortunate symptoms of her injury. They had stepped out into the murky daylight of Miller Peel Lane when Miss Tolerance, with a gurgle of apology to her escort, turned her head and began to vomit. So I'm going to skip over the part where she goes home and recuperates. For almost for the week for almost a week, Miss Tolerance did very little, and she did it at a deliberate pace under the supervision of Mrs. Brereton's household, all of whom, from her aunt to the boy who turned the spits and scrubbed out the pots in the kitchen, Had an opinion on the matter of Miss Tolerance's health. Miss Tolerance lives in a house behind her aunt's brothel. (laughs) Mrs. Brereton had Tissans brewed and loaned her niece a fine woolen wrapper to wear as she recuperated. Cook sent broths and fruit jellies. Keene sent coal daily to Tarzio's club to collect any messages left there for Miss Tolerance and delivered any correspondence it pleased her to send. And Marianne spent an hour or so every day reading to the invalid, and more in conversation. This was pleasant for the first few days. And then Miss Tolerance began to chafe at being treated so gingerly. Is my intellect deranged? Am I unable to dress myself? And must we keep reading about that insufferable woman? By which she meant the heroine of Mrs. Wollstonecraft's novel Maria, who had a tendency to bewail her unhappiness endlessly. I've grown rather tired of her myself, Marianne said comfortably. Shall we have Humphrey Clinker instead? I'd rather go out and take a walk, Miss Tolerance said. Dearest Marianne, I cannot thank you enough, or anyone in the house, but if I do not leave my cottage soon, I shall not be responsible for my temper. Marianne grinned. I was wondering how long it would take you until you rebelled against all our loving kindness. Indeed, it is not the love or the kindness I rebel against, it is the smothering attention with which it is accomplished. But Miss Tolerance smiled again. I shall get up and go to Tarzio's and see what it's about. So you may. Mrs. T- Touchwell closed Mariah and put it on the shelf by the settle. But if you feel the least bit dizzy or ill, I will return myself at once and throw myself upon your bosom. Oh, I hardly think that's necessary. Besides, my bosom may be in use at that time, and that would hardly do. Miss Tolerance, always a little discomforted by reminders of her friend's profession, agreed hurriedly that this was so. Marianne rose to go. "'Oh, I'd as near as forgot. "'That odd man, the one that brought you home when you were struck, "'he called again today.' "'Poor Mr. to "'Today I had no I- idea of it. "'He called very early. "'I could not be sure you were awake. "'And in any case, I seem to recall that you'd keep, rather keep business out of this place.' "'So I would, but if the poor man wants to be reassured "'that his handiwork was not fatal,' Marianne shook her head. "'I don't think so. Not today.' He seemed distressed and asked when you might call upon him. A matter of business, he said. Call upon Mr. Parrott. He left you this, Marianne extended a grubby scrap of paper. I was not sure if you were well enough, Miss Tolerance sighed. I am fine. I need to return to my business. And I should be about mine. I have a gent calling this afternoon and at least one tonight. Such fun, Marianne departed. Miss Tolerance unfolded the paper and found a direction on Coley Street off the Gray's Inn Road. With a pleasant sense of purpose, she rose, dressed, and left her cottage through the side gate which gave on to Spanish Place, thus escaping further cosseting by Mrs. Barrett staff, and hailed a hackney carriage to take her to Coley Street. An early morning fog had burned away, leaving a whiff of sulfur and a pale blue sky. Miss Tolerance was very pleased to be out, and spent the ride observing her fellow citizens as they went about their business. The carriage left her on Gray's Inn Road at Coley Street, and Miss Tolerance made her way to Number 12, an elderly but respectable house of gray wood. Unlike some of its neighbors, the owner or occupants of Number 12 had made some efforts at its upkeep. The shutters all hung squarely, and the were, stairs were swept. When she raised the knocker, it was answered, not instantly, but soon enough, by a pretty girl of ten years or so. The child wore an apron and a cap, was well scrubbed, and displayed neither surprise nor suspicion at the visitor. Miss Tolerance asked gravely for Mr. Parrott. You're the lady Uncle said would come. The girl took Miss Tolerance's hand. I've been on the lookout for you. Step this way, Miss. Mind where the dog's been. (laughs) Miss Tolerance warned, sidestepped a puddle, and allowed the child to lead her up the stairs to the first floor. Ma'am, Uncle's lady is here. The girl pushed on a door which opened on a square chamber that seemed, to Miss Tolerance's eyes, filled with children. After a moment, she realized there were no more than five, ranging from a boy a year or so older than her escort to a toddler in the arms of a round, ruddy woman, half a dozen years Miss Tolerance's senior. The woman, who had been seated, rose at once to her feet. She was not tall, and years of childbearing had wrecked what might once have been a handsome figure, but she moved with energy and a certain authority. She greeted Miss Tolerance with an anxious smile. "'Tis kind of you to come,' she said. "'George said you would, but he also said he—' "'Yes, he hit me on the head. "'He did, but we have quite forgiven each other. "'It was a case of mistaken identity.' "'Miss Tolerance said easily, "'I'm afraid you have me at a disadvantage, ma'am. "'Mr. George Parrott requested that I call upon him here, "'but he did not say his business, "'nor did he mention you or your children.' "'The woman shook her head. "'You must forgive my brother, miss.' He gets enthusiastic light, and he don't realize he ain't said of the aff of what he ought. Please, sit. She turned and shooed two children off a settle near the fire. I'm Mrs. Marsters, and Brother George said you could help me. Miss Tolerance sat. Mrs. Marsters' children, now six, including the girl who had brought her upstairs, had retreated to the far side of the room and arrayed themselves across its width, all regarding her seriously. Into what had she stumbled, Miss Tolerance wondered and where is Mr. Parrott? The woman shifted the child in her arms from one side to the other with a wince. He had a large head covered with brown curls and regarded the visitor with serious eyes. His thumb was in his mouth and his forefinger hooked over his nose. Brother George has gone off to mind my stall. I keep a greengrocer's stall in Covent Garden while I waited for you. Miss Tolerance nodded. And how can I help you, ma'am? Mrs. Marsters' round, red face twitched. It's my Margaret, miss. She's missing, and George said you could find her for me. How old is your Margaret, Mrs. Marsters? The woman's mouth twitched again. She's 15, miss. She went to Loth this past Christmas tide to help my cousin Meg that she's named for with her new babe. Since Mr. Marsters was took from us, having the one less mouth ear to feed is a relief, you see. She was due to come back, "'on the Louth stage. "'I went to meet her at the Saracens' Ed in Alburn, "'but she didn't arrive. "'So Brother George wrote to Cousin Meg, "'thinking Margaret had been kept there longer, "'but Meg said no. "'She put Margaret on that stage right and proper "'and in care of a nice motherly woman named Mrs. Aris. "'But there's no sign of Margaret in the meantime, "'and I'm that scared for her, Miss.' "'When was she retur- expected to return, ma'am?' "'Miss Tolerance calculated the time it would take "'for a letter to reach Louth and return.' and wondered what the odds might be of her finding a girl who had been missing for a fortnight. Three weeks Thursday, Miss, Mrs. Marsters admitted. Cousin Meg don't read. She had to find someone to read the letter and then had to ri- then another to write down an answer. And then I tried to find this Mrs. Harris. You had no t- luck, I take it, Miss Tolerance attempted for the sake of the family before her to hide the dismay. Oh no, I found her right enough. She told me Margaret got off the stage at the Saracen Ed, Saracen's Ed. It come in early and went off with a woman there. But how that could be when I tell her never to go with no one but me. Margaret's a good girl and a great elbow, but she's not quick. And I'm very fearful. In her agitation, Mrs. Marsters squeezed the boy in her lap too tight. He squirmed and began to grizzle. Miss Tolerance felt a moment of impatience. It was clear to her as she thought it must be to Mrs. Marsters that Margaret had been cozened by one of the procuresses who regularly met met stagecoaches hoping to tempt young women new to London into whoredom. While she appreciated the horror of the girl's fate, there was little to be done now except to go from brothel to brothel looking for her, which would take time and mean a far greater fee than she believed Mrs. Marsters could pay. Yet Miss Tolerance could not find it in herself to leave an unwilling girl in a London stew if, by some offer of hers, the girl could be freed. Mrs. Marsters, what did your brother tell you about me? She asked at last. The woman shushed the boy in her lap, tucked his head under her chin, and regarded Miss Tolerance squarely. That you helped people, that you could find Margaret. Perhaps, ma'am. But, Mrs. Marsters, did your brother tell you? Miss Tolerance hesitated. She was a businesswoman and prided herself on a certain degree of hard-headedness. For this reason, her clients were usually well-to-do as Miss Tolerance looked around the room, tidy but but crowded, and the five children lined against the wall and Mrs. Marsters and her youngest child. She was morally certain that this woman would never be able to pay her fee. As if sensing her visitor's concern, Mrs. Marsters fumbled at the side of her chair and produced a shabby, worn purse. I can pay you. I can pay you a pound if you'll find my Margaret. Miss Tolerance was well aware of what a huge amount of money this was likely to be to Mrs. Marsters, although it was well below the fee she charged for a day. The weight of Mrs. Marsters' regard and the regard of the children was beginning to oppress her. How could she possibly say no to such a request? We will wait until I have some results before there is any talk of payment, Miss Tolerance said briskly. Now, ma'am, I'm afraid this may take some time. I do not wish you to be discouraged if I do not have an answer for you within a day or so. Oh, no, ma'am. You're a woman of business, just as I am. I shan't bother you. Mrs. Marsters, pathetic in her gratitude, appeared to believe that the discussion was over. But I need to know some things before I can proceed, Mrs. Marsters. A description of your Margaret and Mrs. Harris's direction, if you have it, and the exact date when you expected the girl to arrive. Miss Tolerance took out a notebook and the end of a pencil from her reticule and began to make notes. Margaret Marsters was described. Not so tall as you, a little plumper, quite pretty in the face, dark hair and brown eyes, a mark on her chin just above the corner of her lip. And Mrs. Harris was duly given. Harris's direction was duly given. I must ask another question, and I don't doubt you'll mislike it. Did Margaret have any admirers, Mrs. Marsters? I understand why you'd asked it, ma'am, but no. I told you she was simple. She's generally shy of strangers, and men in particular. Miss Tolerance nodded, but reflected to herself that even a simple girl might have interests beyond the suspicions of her mother. She put her notebook and pencil back in her reticule. I cannot say for certain that I will have news for you, when I will have news for you, ma'am. Mrs. Marsters smiled unhappily. I know how to wait, miss. Thank you. She turned and said sharply, Mary, on your feet, child, show our guest out. And you lot, it's time and more we was off to the stall. Miss Tolerance departed Crowley Street with a headache, once again of Mr. Parrott's making. (laughs) Got me hooked. (laughs) Thanks, Madeline.